Welcome to this season's first European edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup in practice. That means absolutely no difference whatsoever. Thanks for Gareth Hanna and joining me are Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, how's it going? And Michael Sadler. Hello, Michael. Hello, Lurk. Michael, you sound much more enthusiastic than Jonathan this week. Yeah, I did notice that. Uh, but don't worry, it won't last. <laughs> Jonathan, what's wrong? You're up to Oh, I've just got a lot today. Oh, so you're saying hurry up and get this done and over with so you can conclude your day. Is that what you're saying here? Not in those exact words. <laughs> what we have to discuss then, quickly, uh, as quick as we can for, for Jonathan, it would seem, is we, well, of course we've got no Ulster game to look back on, but uh, that didn't mean the weekend it was without potentially season-altering consequences for Ulster with Ian Anderson's injury of course thank you to Ireland for that we look ahead to what is a monumental Champions Cup window as well as the recent news of Dwayne Pay's impending departure from the province and as usual all of our discussions will be shaped by you the listener thank you very much as usual for your questions so we will begin with uh, with the news of that injury to Ian Henderson so Jonathan if you could bring us up to date what has happened with Ian and what do we know about the, the prognosis looking forward? He's damaged his knee ligaments. He's due to see a specialist, I think, either today or tomorrow. And there'll be a clearer time frame after that. But in the words of Dan McFarland, there will be no quick turnaround. So he's going to be out for a while. Knee ligaments are usually what? Like, we're talking months here, aren't we? Yeah. And I suppose if you're looking at this season in blocks, Ulster were only going to get him for this sort of seven-week block anyway until the sort of business end of the season if you like so you know he only has to be out for seven weeks to sort of miss all the rugby that he was going to play for Ulster this side of Easter anyway I suppose and obviously- but those seven games are obviously the entirety of the European pool stages and three interpros one of which will be against Leinster so while Henderson may not have been playing in it given the way selection goes for these interpros it is also the game that will likely decide what way the Pro 14 conferences are looking given that yeah. Neither side may lose another game outside um, <laughs> the Derby's the way things are going. Mm-hmm. So from an Ulster point of view, well, obviously we don't really know still what the, the second half of the season is going to look like, but it really is a race for, for him to be back for any sort of playoff matches that uh, whenever they may be, isn't it? Without speculating, if you say that come the Six Nations, Ulster will either be in Europe or out of Europe, and certainly looking ahead to the Pro 14 playoffs, then I suppose, yes, you're looking to get him back for that run because he's going to miss the other key block of the season that he would have been playing in, which is this one. Yeah, so that's what we're keeping our our fingers crossed for. Michael, how big a a blow is this for, as Jonathan says, such a a big chunk of the season? Um, Massive blow. As Jonathan's pointed out, they weren't getting him for huge period of time anyway before what he would have been off with Ireland which will determine the European season and we can't say for sure what way he'll be when we get through the Six Nations um, looking like he's going to miss him anyway um, we do know of his truly miraculous powers of recovery we've seen that on a number of occasions and maybe we can we can hope that um, something like that is, is, is going to befall him again but certainly if he, um, I'm guessing if he requires surgery on it, yeah, I mean, we just we just have no way of knowing when we're going to see him again. They have got used to being without him, but 
you just you you absolutely fundamentally need to have them there for the big the big games, the big moments. And they're not going to have them there. On top of that, they're also not going to have Kieran Chadwell either now for this uh, as he's serving a ban at the moment. So it, it's it's going to be hugely hugely challenging for them not to have uh, Ian around. Hugely challenging. We just have no way of knowing when when he may be available again. Dan McFarland was keen to sort of talk up Alan O'Connor and and Sam Carter in there, um, who he certainly thinks can still have what it takes to get Ulster through through the the European pool. Well, he'd need to, really, because they're basically his only two frontline second rows that are left. So if he's not prepared to talk them up, I don't know who he's going to talk <laughs> up. Um, outside of them, you've got Dave O'Connor. Uh, you might even have Matty Ray. You could uh, have a stint at lock. Perhaps, you know, you really pushed Greg Jones might go at it. But, yeah, I mean, he's only really got now two frontline second rows, which um, is not a is, is in anything but ideal situation to be in. It's always an area that you look a little bit light on if you have four and one will be away with Ireland. But, you know, you can get through the Pro 14 definitely with what they have. Sam Carter and Al O'Connor, I think likely both would have been involved in this game anyway, but it's just the stretching of the resources, I suppose. And it exacerbates what's a gap in the academy at the minute because you don't have a second row in the academy. You know, Matt Dalton didn't work out. Jack Reagan, obviously, playing down in New Zealand now. So it's not like there's just anyone there that you can dip into either. Well, just while we're on injuries and, and squad issues, there were a couple of people asking if we, we have any updates on Robert Balakoon or Will Addison's fitness at this stage. We did sort of touch on uh, on Robert Balakoon last week, but for anybody who, who may have missed that, Jonathan, do you have any sort of quick updates on those two? Yes, yeah, just same as last week. Balakoon is back running, I think, and which is a step in the right direction and there's still no time frame being put on Addison's return. Obviously, back injuries notoriously tricky in that way to put a date upon, I suppose. No time in the, the immediate future anyway for those two, probably, although uh, at least Bala couldn't go in the right direction. So the European Champions Cup has arrived. Anybody like to offer a quick explanation for as to just how it's working? Well, it's very straightforward. <laughs> there are... Two pools of 12. The top four teams in each section will go through. And every team just plays a random fixture list. <laughs> That'll be how it's decided who goes through. Yeah. yeah. And who wins the most will go through. And who doesn't won't. Yeah. Though it's perhaps worth bearing in mind that, not bearing in mind, but mentioning too, that this year we also have home and away quarterfinals. If I'm right in thinking once we get through this That's phase. Right. Which, not to be a pessimist, means that if you don't go through, then you've got like a three-week break in the middle of your season, which is a bit odd because the quarterfinals are played in back-to-back weeks. Although what I just noticed in this morning whenever I went back to sort of look at this, now it could be, this was I was reading my own article, so it could well be that I've just got it wrong, but mm. the top four teams in each pool go through to the quarterfinals and then fifth to eighth, according to Gareth Hanna, which means nothing, go through to the Challenge Cup quarterfinals. Have I yeah, got... no, you haven't. That that is right. Yes, so you 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 can and will potentially go into another competition. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's where it's a little bit different this year, and I suppose that uh, lessens that threat, Jonathan, as you're saying, of a very sparse uh, looking calendar coming the end of the season. Doesn't so much lessen the th- you know. I wasn't saying it was a threat. I was looking at two weeks off at the start of April. <laughs> that's not going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, like it would be understandable if things had got uh, somewhat lost in the shuffle for people because I think this draw was maybe like three days before the last round of the Six Nations when Ireland were playing France. But like just with the way that the draw went, you know, 12 teams, four going through. The side of Ulster's draw is Exeter, Lyon, Ulster, Bristol, Munster, Racing, Claremont, Toulouse. So there's like nine good teams. And that's not even to include Connacht, purely on the basis that they have to play Bristol and Racing. So that's one very good team that's not even getting into the Challenge Cup. <laughs> yeah. Like, the saving grace for Ulster, as much as we've complained about the fact that they were top seeds and got to lose, is that they also have Gloucester, mm. which is a pair of winnable games. Like, you know, to take Claremont as an example, they have Bristol and Munster in a competition where you have to win, we think, most likely, almost certainly, three games. So they either to go through, they either have to win in Bristol or win in Munster. Toulouse have Ulster and Exeter, so they either have to win in Belfast or win in Exeter to even stand a chance to be in that top four. Mm-hmm. And you know, people maybe aren't thinking about Leon as a big team, but one, they've been very good domestically over the last couple of years now. And they have two games against Glasgow and two games against Gloucester. So of those, if you like challenging teams, they've got the easiest set of fixtures. So they're like they're right in that mix as well. If they pitch up in Europe in a way that they haven't been able to do before in terms of translating their domestic form into Europe. But like, you know, as we say, there's basically if you include Connacht, you've got nine good teams, really, in your side of the draw that will really be looking at it. And the other three aren't slouches by any means either. Harlequins, Glasgow and Gloucester. So if we like if we consider that strong group, strong all round basically, how many like I think you mentioned earlier, Johnny, you reckon three games would be required to to finish in those top four positions? Do you think that is a, a minimum requirement? Absolutely. Like I'll put it this way. I don't think Ulster are among the four best teams in their side of the draw. But they're helped by the fact that Claremont, who maybe aren't even as good as they have been in recent years either, have a tougher fixture list in Bristol and Munster. Bristol obviously playing Claremont as well and have to go to Galway, so that's difficult enough. Um, Munster having to go to Claremont, you know, Ulster looking at Toulouse and saying, oh, that's really tough. But like nearly everybody has one of those games that they would be very much an underdog for. Like really, Leon. And so Leon playing Glasgow and Gloucester and Racing playing Connacht and Harlequins are two teams that would arguably be favourites in all four of their games. But everybody else you would look at and think realistically they're likely to drop one, but they're not likely to drop two. So like you, I think anyway, need to win at least three. And if you only win two, then you are in that possibility of being in the bottom four. So it's why one Friday night's game is huge. Like Friday night's a big challenge and people are looking at it in that way, but it's almost a minimum requirement that they have to win on Friday. Like if they don't win on Friday, they're virtually out. Yeah, and and also not only are virtually out of the Champions Cup, but they're also severely struggling to get into the Challenge Cup. Yeah. Already. Dear bless. Because they'll still have to go to to lose at that point, as well as something that we're all overlooking to a degree because they've done so well when going to England in the last three or four years is go to Gloucester and win. 
Yeah, it's all. It's certainly very interesting, and not that there's ever a, an ease into Europe, but you can't afford maybe a, a down day at some stage where it's not really the case this time. Michael, how does that leave you feeling ahead of um, Friday night from an Ulster point of view? Home game is to lose, must win already. Yeah, it's season defining for Europe. I, I don't think there's any. You can't really hide from that, as has already been evidenced by what has been said. Uh, it's 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 an absolute nailed on result. They have to get it, not just to get momentum, but because of the, the importance of maximising those number of wins, of getting getting those three wins. Let's say <clears throat> the last game's at, in Toulouse, and you can't ever write it off. But you can look at that and go, that that that's not a win. Uh, this sets them up, and to go at Gloucester. And see what they can do, and, and I mean that—that's basically it. If they beat Gloucester uh, home and away, and beat Toulouse on Friday night, it'll be very interesting to see what sort of position they're in uh, come that last round, and hopefully that might, you know, give them that situation that you know the, the the situation they're looking for. It is going to be very, very, very difficult, but they simply have to start on Friday night with a win. I think it was as Ugo Mola said that Europe is a sprint. The Toulouse coach, it's even more of a sprint this year. It's absolutely full on from the word go. Um, and, and Ulster simply have to come away on Friday night with a result, which, you know, historically they have mostly done against Toulouse, who, you know, they're very familiar opponents. But that doesn't mean deadly when we get to this Friday night. Yeah. No doubt about that. What, but, do we know, yeah. what do we know about Toulouse? How they've been going so far? They've been going pretty well in, their, uh, in the top 14. There's been quite a bit of disruption for them, clearly, with the Autumn Nations Cup. Though I, I know, you know, last week uh, when they 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 beat uh, Bayonne away, uh, I think they've only lost three times in their eleven games. They had quite a number of their frontline players uh, deployed, as it was Antoine Dupont. They also had Roman Intimac, you know, so they were they were looking quite strong there. Uh, so they were kind of integrated them back into a, a certain degree. Cyril Bally uh, was there as well, Julien Marchand. They've kind of integrated them back in, whereas Ulster, of course, haven't had that opportunity. They're very strong. And um, as I say, th- th- they have produced some pretty impressive form in the top 14, only second to uh, the La Rochelle of uh, John O'Gibbs and Ron Nogara. They are interested in, in doing well in this competition. We're, we seem to be taking it in turns as to whose pet disrupts the podcast. It was Johnny's dog last week, and it's usually, <laughs> usually my dog. So nice to see your cat getting in on the action. Yeah, that's Mina. Do you want to say hello? <laughs> no, I didn't think so. So, Jonathan, you can deal with another listener question now. Johnny Smith asks, quite simply, how do you beat Toulouse? He says Ulster now have the ability to play them at their own game with high tempo and offloads, but are you better just kicking the leather off it to contain them? What do you think? Let's talk tactics. Well, it's interesting because if something the twos have done since I suppose we last saw them two months ago is move Ramos to 10, play Medard at fullback, Entomax switched to 12, and then you still got Colby and certainly last week anyway, Huger on the wing. So I suppose there were maybe questions about Ramos positioning as a fullback under under the high ball, but Medard, Huger, and Colby, even for Colby's size, are very solid under the high ball and also have a very deserved reputation for not being people that you'd want to give the ball to in space to run it back. Um, so I don't, it's one of those, you know, when you're talking about kicking, it's always not so much the tactic of kicking, but just how good the kicking is because, and how good the kick chase is primarily as well, because 
you can't kick in a wayward fashion to those guys because they'll just run it back at you all day and you have to make sure the chase is right. So in a strange way, it's almost as risky to play that way against a team, against this to lose back three. But they've got such a powerful pack that you don't really want to take them on there either. Because as we've seen, I suppose, with Ireland playing against the bigger teams and even parts of and that last Ulster against Toulouse game, it's a very rugby's a very difficult sport when the other team's just an awful lot bigger than you. It certainly is. So, uh, Michael, what do you do? <laughs> Neither well, side do. What do you do? Yes, there's there's, a, there's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> essentially, you deny them the ball. I mean, it's it's it it it's it's fairly straightforward in that regard. But that is a problem, a massive problem in itself, because you're yeah. simply not going to be able to do that. Uh, as Johnny says, no way we're kicking, please. Uh, whatsoever, those guys will absolutely shred you uh, if given the opportunity. Um, they look, you know, and even if um, you don't do that, the fact is you've got Antoine Dupont hanging around at the base of rocks, malls, mm-hmm. lineouts, scrums, and I guess you know, you know, sooner or later he is going to have some sort of impact on the game, such as his class. You just have to hope that that impact is minimal, or alternatively that. If he does, you've got to you've got to stop him, and you've got to stop him immediately. If he gets up any head of steam or meterage, he will also go and get him behind you and cause complete carnage. It it's a you know it, it's a massive massive ask. As Johnny says they're also they're also very sizable up front as well. They're strong everywhere really. They are one of the top sides in France, one of the top sides in Europe. There's no question of that. So to beat them, to beat them is going to take something pretty special. Now, I noticed that the weather forecast is not, at the moment, wondrously good for Friday night. But I think that the days when you can kind of uh, say willy-nilly, oh, well, the French teams don't travel very well and they don't like bad weather, I don't think that really counts for a great deal now. Mm -hmm. This side are too good for that. Essentially, that's it. Basically, you you don't let them get the ball, or as little of the ball as possible. (laughs) And any of the guys, and there are so many of them, you don't give them any time on the ball or any opportunity to, to use that to put you under great stress. How do you do that? I don't know. I'm not paid that amount of money. Yeah. That's over to Dan McFarlane. Yeah. But I'd say, you know, to, to jump from what he has been dealing with in the uh, Pro 14 to this mm-hmm. is, um, well, it's a chasm, really, it, you know, the, the golf in class. Mm-hmm. You also have to just hope and pray that Toulouse turn up and aren't really quite on it. But looking at the way they've been going, I don't think you can assume that either. At the same time, I like to think there's, in France, there's uh, some guys sitting on a podcast right now talking about the dangers of uh, Marcel Coutier, Michael Lowry, and uh, and even John Andrews. Try scoring prowess now. Um, like there's, Ulster have been in good form. So what are Ulster going to do in terms of a team? Let's begin with the back line. Obviously, there's no... Uh, there's no Billy Burns for this one, so that's a bit of a hole to fill there alongside John Cooney. And as JW points out, Rob Little's injured and out. So he asks, who do you think will start at 11? Tavis, potentially, or will we see Stockdale move on the, the wing with, with Lowry retained at, at fullback? With the, the players that also have available, Jonathan, what would you do for a back line? I would put Stockdale at 11, but maybe Fadis at 14, I think, is maybe what we'll see. And then Lowry at fullback. Madigan at 10, Cooney at 9, obviously. Sandra will be an interesting one because I think McCluskey will, will go straight back in there and then you've got one of either 
Hume or Moore. Hume's obviously not long back from having a wee breakthrough injury. So that's going to be an interesting decision. I think for me, that's probably the main decision in the back line. I don't know whether Michael would agree with that, but I think the rest of it's probably straightforward enough in that way. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, I think you've got to have Michael Lowry in the team. I think there might be a temptation to play him at 10. That would mean Stockdale possibly at fullback and Gilroy on the wing with yeah. Fadis. But I don't think that's the way they're going to go. I think uh, Lowry's best position is probably 15, undoubtedly 15. I think Stockdale's best position is actually 11. The question is who, who starts at 10. And it really is, it seems to be really but either between Bill Johnson or Ian Madigan. And I would have thought that Ian Madigan's experience gives him the nod there. Mm-hmm. Unless something uh, happens at training yeah. that makes it very clear that Madigan isn't going to be his starting 10. That's what that's the way I think he'll, he'll go. McCloskey at 12, you've got to have him. Even though he's only played one game in about 12. Yeah, he, well, this is the other thing. You know, these guys, Rob Herring, Stockdale, McCloskey, have not really been seen by Ulster very much this season. But because so much is riding on this game, as we've already talked talked about, to just, I think, bench them and decide they're going to come on and do, say, 20, was it's just far, far too high risk. It's, it's beyond high risk, in my opinion. You'll have lost the game by then, I think, if, if you don't put your best team on the pitch. And regardless of whether these guys have played much for Ulster or not, uh, they are the best players in the positions that Dan McFarlane will want them, which is McCluskey at 12, mm-hmm. Stockdale, well, 11-15, and Rob Herring at 2. So that brings us on. Well, it'll be interesting to see, of course, who, uh, provided McCluskey does come in, who then gets the, the nod beside him, what has become a, a very competitive position. So you bring us on to the pack then, Michael. Um, John Andrew not not holding on after all his, his tries, it's going to be Rob Herring coming straight back in there, isn't it? The, look, you know, there is an argument not to bring Rob in, but because John has been doing the job and, as you say, scoring tries, those three against Edinburgh, of course, but I think that for the reasons I've already pointed out, you have to bring Rob Herring in and you have to get him starting there in, in, in the two-shirt and um, creating some sort of platform or some sort of foothold in the game and essentially trying your utmost to put yourself in a position to, to win it. Um, so I, I think Rob Herring will start. Though I, I could see there, you know, I wouldn't be, in, you know, I'd, I'd be surprised if he didn't start, put it that way, but I could I could see the argument for not starting him. But he's, I don't think he's a 20-minute, 35-minute, 30-minute impact player. I think you start him from the get-go. So if we have Herring at two, we know the locks will be O'Connor and Carter. Jonathan, what do you do with the rest of the pack? I think you go O'Sullivan and Moore as the starting props with McGrath and O'Toole coming off the bench, but it's those guys are interchangeable, I think, near enough, um, which is what you want from your first choice for four props. Neither Jack McGrath or Tom O'Toole were listed in the media uh, as being injured, so they should all be fit to go. The back row is interesting because... Two-thirds of it again picks itself in Sean Reedy and Marcel Katsia. He obviously didn't play the last time and is one cause for optimism for Ulster, um, as well as the game being in Belfast. And then you've got one other. So is your other Matty Ray or is it Jordy Murphy? More often than not this year, it's been Matty Ray. I, I think it may well be Matty Ray, um, again, for that line-out option. 
you know, I've talked to you before about um, because I just think it gives them that, that little bit more when it comes to, to that area, uh, an area where they can launch um, another target to throw at and, and launch one of their undoubtedly many malls that we might see. Mm-hmm. Um, as well, just another option to do that, moving them up and down the line or wherever you want to put them. Well, the we'll... model will obviously be interesting because it's been such a source of tries in the Pro 14. But as uh, you know, Alan O'Connor and other players have alluded to this week, it's not going to be as straightforward against a team like Toulouse. No, certainly not. not so like no team, you know, no team scored more tries in the Pro 14 in Ulster. They're averaging, I think, 34 points a game in the Pro 14, and so much, an awful lot of that is down to. Mm-hmm. They're all, but yeah. they're not going to get the same traction just yeah. by the virtue of the opposition being so much better. And that's why, as we've sort of pointed out all season, that it's so hard to rate just where Ulster are and have been in terms of, of their levels. What do you think, Jonathan? <laughs> now they're coming up against Toulouse. How do you, how do you foresee it panning out? Well, I think it's just about them having to take their chances because they've not had to. Like I talk about them averaging 34 points a game. So there's a mental shift in that sense when you know that if you mess something up, you're going to get another chance to score in two minutes or three minutes. And they've been able to have those 20-minute lulls in games where they've either taken their foot off the pedal or, as we saw against um, Edinburgh last time, out, allow the opposition back in. And it's shifting that almost mentally. Like, you think back to that Toulouse quarterfinal. Like, they had a really good chance when they were down 8-3 to score a try and take the lead. And then, you know, you blink and all of a sudden you're down 30-68. Yeah. You know, you have, to, you have to take chances because it's not like the Pro 14 where genuinely you're going to get 10 chances a game to score a try. You'll get three or four and you have to take probably 75% of those to win the game. That's a mental shift and it's a completely different standard to the Pro 14. I think Ulster, like Ulster have it in them to be that clinical side because at the end of the day, we've seen what they've done in Europe the past two years in the pool stages to lose you know while they're obviously a very good side Claremont were a very good side Racing were a very good side when they came here and lost the difference being that they came I suppose to what was sold out raucous Kingspan whereas there's going to be 500 fans there so it's going to be a very different European occasion if you like and I don't think that will suit Ulster because they are able to take so much energy from those kind of um, full houses that they get and the the you know, the sense in of the change of atmosphere that you get in Europe. So it's certainly uh, Ulster's most interesting game of the, the season so far by a country man. Some would say their only interesting game of the season so far. Michael, give us a, a very quick prediction there. Who's going to win? Oh, no. Well, uh, um, to lose. Oh, oh, sacrilege. Sacrilege, Michael. You could be that's here. a quick production that's a quick production I could have gone on so it was, it was no I appreciate it it's, a, it's a, a professional opinion Michael there's no such thing as too much sport the anticipation the expectation the pounding of feet the pounding of hearts shoot miss score win lose draw we can't be shoulder to shoulder but we are still standing up for the Ulster men we can't be in the stands, but until we can, there's the Belfast Telegraph. For all the latest sports news, subscribe today at belfasttelegraph.co.uk or call 0800 028 1909 to find out about our home delivery service. The Belfast Telegraph. Tell it like it is. We'll move on uh, fr- from that. We will be back next week to... <laughs> that sounds like I'm wrapping up. I'm not. We'll be back next week oh. to 
that's that. But before before we go for this week, we have uh, some a, a change of coach to discuss for Ulster. Dwayne Peel, as was announced uh, yesterday, I think, wasn't it, that he'll be moving on. So a couple of questions as to what next for Ulster. Big Jim asks, who are the candidates to replace him as he moves on? Uh, should we be looking for someone to continue the same style of play? And uh, Willem Kurtz, I hope I've said that right, uh, suggests Eddie O'Sullivan said in the rugby pod that he's looking at coaching gig. Could he come in? So, Michael, what do we think? Who are the main contenders to, to fill this uh, gap that's coming up in the coaching team coming the end of the season? We don't. We, we obviously don't know whether you know whether they're looking outside the camp or not. If they are looking outside the camp, you know, you just don't know where it might be. <laughs> it would be surprising somebody from Scotland, let's face it. But, you know, if they find somebody there. But um, if, if they stay in-house, you know, uh, Dan Soper, for instance, is the highly regarded skills coach. It's often talked about by the players. Might be able to step into that role. Uh, Jared Payne might even switch across from defence coach and take that role on, which may be more suited to, you know, to him um, leaving the defence coach post. But we, 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 we genuinely don't know, as I think, you know, I mentioned that, piece today. Neil Doak's out there as well, former Ulster head coach. That'd be a bit of a wild card, all right, but would certainly be, the you know, the, the best-looking fit, shall we say, at the moment, if they wanted to do this quickly. Now, they probably won't necessarily want to do it quickly. They want to go out and maybe have a look and see who's there. They may have, and undoubtedly have already been doing that, because I'm sure Dwayne Peel has probably made it known uh, beforehand that he, he is going to move on, so they probably have been looking. So, um, we, we, we can't be absolutely certain, but those, those are certainly three names that spring up from those potential potential candidates who are already here or in the environment. If they spread the net wider, you know, we don't know. Who knows who, knows who may hold their hand up for that one? By the way, you didn't ask Johnny for a prediction of the game on Friday night. Why was that? You were nominated as the spokesperson for the Ulster Rugby Roundup. He could sense from my tone what I thought it was going. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, these are both going for to lose. I'm guessing. I'm going to say Ulster are going to win them, uh, just so I can say I was right next week. And if to lose, win, then I'll never mention that. Um, well, like they have lost an away European pool game in the not too distant past. Like obviously they went six from six in the pool last year, but they did lose one away game in the pool the year before. I mean, it was to Leinster, but you know. <laughs> That doesn't really count. They, they've, they've got previous for this if you go back two years. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see as regards Ulster's replacement for Dwayne uh, Payne. They certainly will miss him in, in that coaching ticket. But uh, yeah, we'll see We'll see what they do as regards going forward. So uh, what else do we have to discuss? Ireland beating Scotland 31-16 at the weekend, the end of international rugby for a couple of months. Uh, praise ye the Lord <laughs> a debut for Ergo Sullivan probably the most interesting thing from an Ulster point of view Jonathan played about, what was about 15 minutes he got how'd he do big day for him yeah well the scrum hadn't been going particularly well he came on and um, they won a scrum penalty so I mean really if you just take it off that then yeah he did brilliantly um, I think he he was more keen to give the credit to that for Andy Porter than anything else but um if I was him, I would be changing or taking credit for a complete change in the in the set piece. And yeah, like I think it's good for him to have come in. Um I think he'd sort of mentioned afterwards about how much information and stuff there is to take in, how much you have to learn, how much you have to get your head around, which is probably an explanation for why he didn't get that um run out against Georgia that he probably in hindsight should have got when you look at how um, 
it went trying to make a tight head play loose head off the bench. So I think if you're looking towards the Six Nations and it means that he's in a much better position to put his hand up for those games. Obviously, um, Byrne will likely be back and Kilcoyne as well. Um, So there'll be a lot more competition, hopefully, as long as nobody else gets injured, touch wood, come February. But I think just by virtue of just having spent that two weeks and got a taste for it, I think it'll stand him in really good stead. Mm-hmm. If he has a good run over these next seven weeks, because, you know, there's an awful lot <laughs> um, maybe of trepidation about the size of the challenge coming up over the next seven weeks. But one of the good things about it from Ireland hopeful perspectives is if you play well, then nobody can say, oh, well, it's just the Pro 14 mm-hmm. in the same way that we've seen over the last whatever it is, eight weeks. Like, if you play well over the next seven weeks, it's because you're going up against top-quality opposition. So, we have uh, one more listener. I'm going to make a couple more listener questions throw in, but one about Ireland. Peter Gray asks, is Farrell to take, the man to take Ireland forward? Michael, if we can uh, take the end of uh, 2020, well, Ireland's 2020 schedule as a time in Ireland languages for a little stock take, uh, what, what do you think about the, the path forward and um, Andy Farrell obviously is going to be the man leading them forward is he the right man? Well I think you know like like any question about a coach time will tell the only currency is wins the chief currency here is how well they're going to do against England and France they both they are both at home I think in the Aviva in the Six Nations which will be interesting the golf there primarily from Andy Farrell's point of view needs needs to be uh, to be narrowed and they need to be really challenging in those games to potentially win them. I think for people to begin to perhaps say that um, Ireland are going in the right direction, um, there has been quite a lot of negative criticism clearly thrown his way. And clearly as well, the Georgia game was uh, a horrible reminders of that 2007 encounter in the World Cup as well, um, which isn't a good look. They haven't looked fantastic going forward they, they they did get away from Scotland in the end but you know they, they've been playing in patches and they don't look like a team that are playing with great confidence and I suppose that's that's the key here I think we'll know an awful lot more when we get a Six Nations a complete Six Nations in which hopefully we will played out in the way it should be played out in, in one go and and, uh, and before we can really I think throw up too much judgement onto the Farley well, Jonathan, one of your pieces, uh, your premium pieces over the weekend, uh, which is well worth subscribing to the Belfast Telegraph website for, was about the uh, five considerations that Andy Farrell will, will have over Christmas. What do you make mulling over when he's eating his turkey? So if you can just sum up a couple of the, the key ones, what are the what are the big questions hanging over Andy Farrell now? Well, I was really just looking at, I suppose, what his first choice team is, because I think we're having become very settled through 2018 and for better or worse into 2019, I think there's more questions than we've had about an Ireland team for a long time. So if we say that Doris is fairly ensconced in the back row now and Levy's coming back, you know, if Doris is your number eight, then you get Stander, O'Mahony, who had a sort of restorative autumn in a lot of ways, and Levy fighting for two starting spots. So I think that's interesting. Um, Herring I thought really saw off the challenge of Ronan Kelleher there's a lot of talk about Kelleher but Herring for me is playing better so I think that's an interesting consideration to be making um, Kane Healy maybe looked like he was a little bit on the fade possibly so 
that's another thing to think about. The back three is um, I'm going to be a massive area of debate because Keenan had a good autumn. I think we saw bits of why he wants Stockdale at fullback. And then you've got Jordan Larmer coming back. So between Jordan Larmer, James Lowe, Keenan, Stockdale, Keith Earls, that's a lot of players to fit into a back three. And then midfield as well. Like, you know, I think the midfield's shown us, if we didn't already know it, that it has to be Gary Ringrose plus one. So that's Gary Ringrose plus one of Aggie, Henshaw, Farrell, McCluskey. Um, but they need to figure out what's their best partnership there, I think. But these are all also only considered or conversations that you can have three months out for a game because inevitably between now and then, somebody's going to get injured and the selection picture will look an awful lot clearer. Yeah, no, absolutely. What about uh, Billy Burns as well? Is he, well, where, where is he in their uh, sort of rankings now? Where do you see him? I'd see him as number two behind Sexton. Like, I think like Ross Byrne maybe didn't get the best selection of games that he would have wanted to be a part of, given that he started the game against Twickenham, which was a bit of a disaster, and played the second half against Georgia, which was a disaster. But um, on the basis of that alone, you know, you can say that Burns, I think, had a pretty good autumn. He did well in his three caps. He was probably the best thing about that Georgia game when he was on the pitch. So I think if, again... There's a lot of water to pass under the bridge with these European games and the Interpros, but I think if Farrell was picking his 23 for that Wales game today, I think Burns would be the backup out half to Sexton. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting going forward. We can we can park that international talk for uh, for a little while now, at long last. Uh, so that's pretty much us for this week. There's an Ulster A game on Saturday, Michael, isn't there? Yes. Yes. Yes, there is. Thank you, Gareth, for me about that. Yes, they play Munster at the Kingspan on Saturday. Indeed, they do. Lovely. First of two games, they play Connacht the following week in Galway. Okay. Be interesting to see just from a team point of view, even what's uh, what's what's coming up. We can uh, revisit that one that one next week when we when we know what happened. So yeah, that's us for this week. We'll be back next week for uh, uh, the meat in our European sandwich of uh, of podcasts. Um, but until then, from Michael Sadler. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Goodbye. I'm John and Bradley. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, from myself, Gareth Hannah. Thanks for listening.